following program with Mr. Fix-It and uh, Diablo Frank has adult language and plenty of spoilers. Listener, be advised. Welcome back to Spawn Talk on the Bed. It's the Spawnometer. Spawnometer. Dude, that sounds so sexual. So now we're oh, going yeah, to... Spawnometer sounds sexual, but Spawn Talk is totally not in any way sounding oh, like a sex advice show. No, no, no. Wait, but you didn't finish it. it. This is the artificial insemination half hour <laughs> on Mr. Fix-It's Bed as we luxuriate in totally hetero romance kind of situation. Well, you are my life partner. My hetero <laughs> life partner, partner yes. yeah. Well, um. we, we've got a three-way. We're sort of like uh, uh, William Moulton Marston in that respect. I'll be your olive burn. How about that? See, this is where I'm getting franked on this damn show. It's supposed to be my <laughs> you know, show. You're franked in your own bed, too. Isn't that a sad yes. thing? Oh, that's So what, what the fuck is the spawnometer? So I'm still saying it's time-based. You say you read article where it's energy-based. I mean, what is the show? Oh, <laughs> my bad. We take a small time of 22 minutes. It, however long the actual comic book we're covering is, which it's, it just so happens these are all 22-page uh, uh, well, comics. If you had the time to listen to the first episode, you got an idea that we're just going to talk about a spawn comic and any other books that spawn might have stepped in. Now, granted... This or or actually any image books but, image we, but, but we have to actually be able to cover it in 22 minutes and we just barely finished issue number one of Spawn in the first Spawnometer so we're going to see what we got going with issue number two just in case you're wondering of course Frank kidnapped me because I had no desire to do image books but you Frank, like Spawn though kinda you watch the show okay, with, your, with you, Pussycat Fruit you have to drop down kinda to like what's below kinda okay now <laughs> did you or did you not tell me that you and Pussycat when y'all were together would make a point of going home and watching Spawn on a weekly basis the HBO special or the HBO anime show yes oh so you because, don't feel as strongly about the comics though uh, I enjoy the early well, comics I should say when we get to where he has the guest writers yes okay. I actually enjoyed the guest writer writings Todd McFarlane on his own not so much we talked a little bit about Todd McFarlane's eponymous Spider-Man before did you actually read Amazing Spider-Man when David Michelini was writing it and McFarlane was drawing it yes that's when they did a lot of crossovers right yeah and they had the cosmic powered Spider-Man yeah. and Venom got introduced uh, I think Eric Larson was drawing some of those too wasn't he Eric powers? Larson replaced Todd McFarlane yeah. on Amazing and on Eponymous Spider-Man. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I remember reading those. Uh, I do remember... Did you like Amazing when David Michelin was writing it? Some of them stuff was good. I mean, I'd have to go back and revisit it. It's been a very long time since I've read it. By the way, uh, when did you start reading the McFarlane Hulk issues? Well, because, what, Larson even took over after that. Uh, he only did, like, an issue. Yeah, uh, the, the well, the crossover... Because it was Jeff Purvey that did it after McFarlane. Yeah, well, because... And, in well, fact, the Eric Larson issue was after, I thought, Purvey's run, wasn't it? Well, okay, so you had McFarlane run at the very end when... You assume Hulk is dead. You have those green gamma-rated characters in the back of the truck being driven off by the leader. And you assume that's the end. And then the next issue was a Larson issue where they're doing a congressional meeting yeah, about the, the, the whole Hulk, Hulk story arc. And then the next issue after that is you see the Hulk waking up in Vegas. Yeah. And then the Joel Fixit persona, thank you very much, is born. Which then I really got into reading that. I love that on the Spawnometer podcast we're spoiling the end of the <laughs> McFarlane run on the Hulk. Oh, dude, if you have not read it, then you're so far behind in life. Well, you're not really missing anything in terms of the spoiler aspect. That was Peter David, right? Yeah, Peter David was writing. The oh, no, no, dude. Fan, dude yeah. That was fantastic. Peter no, but I'm saying you're not missing anything in terms of we're not ruining oh, the yeah. story oh, for no, you. Oh, no, 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 no. There's so much stuff that happens in there. The ending, I gave it no justice. It's a good ending. Well, yeah, that, that and also the book writing-wise only gets better from there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Peter David picked up his stride after those books. Now, the one cover of McFarland that I was going to bring up earlier that always sticks in my head, I want to say Chameleon with the Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of detail for a yeah. guy with no actual features for the most part. And I remember someone trying to tell me, I had seen it, I was like, dude, that's so cool. And the guy was like, oh, that's like the Spider-Man Red Skull. And I'm like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's like a Spider-Man Red Skull. Of course, this guy hadn't read the book. And I remember he showed it to me. And I'm like... I'm pretty sure it's the chameleon or someone else Spider-Man related, but that cover always stuck in my mind. It was okay. just so, just so prominent. For the one that got me, unsurprisingly, was the McFarlane cover with Spidey crawling down a wall, and then Captain America was to the side of him. Hey, that's a kind of an interesting looking cap. And I flipped through it and it's like, this is okay, but I'm not going to pick it up. Yeah. Which is the, the way I felt about McFarlane a lot. But what about the eponymous Spider-Man when he was writing his own stuff? Uh, well, we talked a little bit about that. His 16 issues, pretty look at. Did you read them though? Did you yeah, buy I them? Read them. If, if, were you actually if, the one? Because like me. 
me. I was I can, switching off my brother. I did only you buy remember, those? Uh, yes, I did. I only vaguely remember the stories. I remember thinking the stories were not very good. I just remember the Wendigo Wolverine Spider-Man book, thinking how pretty it was. And honestly, if I were to look at them today, I would probably thumb through them. I don't think I could read them because I don't remember being that into the story. I remember yeah. the story being very basic. Well, my problem is I don't care enough about Spider-Man or Wolverine. Oh, no, no. See, to me, if or you're, Wendigo. If you're going to hook me in to a Spider-Man book, it has to be like a Dan Slott or some kind of new take on the character. Mm-hmm. Or his Superior villains. Spider-Man was very yeah. interesting. Yes, yeah, that, about like, that. you got to hook me. I've noticed, and I've noticed even as I've gotten older, when you have an artist who's like, I want to write my own books, they just rewrite shit they read when they were a kid. And sometimes it's even more Or they craft a story basic. about around the cool stuff they feel like drawing. Dude, I don't know. A lot of times, and I'm not trying to put them down, but their writing is so basic. You only got this because you got to draw it too. It mm-hmm. wasn't because you know how to tell a story. You have writer artists. And ideally, you're going to be strong in both of those disciplines. Often, you're leaning more toward one or the other. But one issue I think you have with artists who try to become writers is as an artist, one of the first things you have to do is learn how to interpret what's in real life. And you True. can apply your style to how that anonymity is presented but there are rules to how the body human body is supposed to work and you're supposed to follow those rules so it's about representing something as you see it where with writing you read a whole bunch of stories and then you figure out how to tell your own stories where you take what you've read and change it so that it's not the same but you get the you try to give somebody the same feeling that you felt when you read the stories that you enjoyed and so writers are all about figuring out how to give it a twist so that they're telling a new story or telling it in a new way or altering enough details so even when they're outright stealing you can't necessarily detected or call them out on it where artists especially comic artists have a nasty tendency remember when we were younger it was really cool when you'd have an homage cover mm-hmm. because you didn't see that very often usually even usually you'd have like a swipe and they would do the same thing they'd try to change it enough so you couldn't tell they were outright stealing wait, wait, is, and then at some point Max, not a swipe it's influence uh, influence Whereas something happened, especially going into the 2000s, but I think it was it bad in the 90s too, they would just say, oh yeah, I'm just stealing this art. And they'd put McFarlane after Burn or something like that. And it gave them a license to just completely swipe the image and just change out the characters. And I hated that because while it was cool the first few times I would see it, now it's so common. Every comic book, it seems like, has an homage cover. And so they're just repeating what another artist drew. Yeah. And at some point, you're still stealing now, well, aren't now you? Well, now they get to the point you're where they're doing the mashups. Not yeah, the mashup and then the mashups. You have to create your own work. And I think I think there's this tendency in comics where nobody wants to give anything away anymore. Everybody's so tired of getting ripped off by the companies that they want to save everything for themselves and self-publish it and create their own and stuff. And it's at the point now where they've been regurgitating so long they don't realize that these homage covers, you're just stealing. Yeah. And especially when it's something that's not rare anymore, when it's so damn common that everybody does it, it's just a regurgitation. You might as well draw over the original drawing and change the costumes. It's pointless. I think that's a problem that artists have when they try to be writers is they're comfortable with figuring out how the thing works was the first time and repeating it in their own style rather than where the writer feels the need to change it and turn it into something that they own for themselves to their own story their own creation they don't want to be overly derivative where a lot of times comic artists don't have a problem with being derivative okay so now i'm going to kick frank off his soapbox because he literally killed like 10 minutes of spawn talk on a tangent that had nothing to do with spawn i love it love well you, okay well why don't you go ahead and send outside okay so hold on uh, spawn so, number two so kitties i'm going to bring you back to spawn number two since frank took us in his wild toad journey we're introduced to the violator. Well, we're and introduced I, I, to the clown. The first. clown, yeah. He I, says, I'm the violator, but I think it's important to note, it's a short, fat guy who's barely in his clothes with clown makeup on his face. Think, it looks like Spawn's... D- think Danny costume. DeVito Danny DeVito with a clown face. Well, instead of Danny DeVito playing the penguin, he's playing the Joker. Yeah. But he's playing it the exact same way. He's speaking to Mr. Pussy, which he literally does call the cat that, Mr. Yeah, Pussy. It's a, it's a I, cat in an alley. Yeah, and I, and I think he's trying, that was McFarlane's trying to get away with something there. Like, ooh, he said pussy. You were to introduce the clown who's talking about, you know, what is he talking about? I mean. How he's going to tear somebody apart. Yeah. And stomp oh, on their guts. The boss, their the boss is upset. Yeah, the, that he's bored. The boss is not letting him do what he wants to do. And I think the point is he's supposed to be this unimpressive guy, this diminutive dude. And he's talking all this noise about how violent he's going to be. And you're not supposed to believe that he's capable of that violence. True. That's my assumption anyway. Yeah. Nicely drawn. We go back to emo spawn and he's whining and he's crying about his power and he's trying to figure out all these images. And I think now he's kind of remembering who they are. Well, and he sees the clown waving from him from a rooftop. He's like, what the hell is this dill hole doing? And he just kind of ignores him. They're starting to show the Violator character, which is a demon, pale white, thin man look with his massive head and this giant horn that comes out, protrudes from his back. And then the rows of shark teeth. And this is kind of where I knew the book was getting a little crazy when they show 
showed the heart on the ground and blood splattered everywhere. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't know, do that in a Marvel comic. Yeah, at that or time. DC book. Could you? In DC? No, I, w- I wouldn't say so. Not a, not anything code approved. So I remember I remember seeing were this. Were the image books code approved when they were coming out? No. Okay. No, I don't believe so. And I remember thinking that was cool because they actually played up the sexuality with all their characters. I mean, hell, you had Savage Dragon banging a chick from behind, and they drew that. And I remember thinking, holy. But was crap. that in the first miniseries? No. Or they they waited a little bit, right? They waited a little bit. Yeah, it was up in like the twenties when he started dating a female officer. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so you know, spawns on a church, and he Wait, realized. Did he play? Did he? Was it a Latina or a black yeah, girl that he was working with? Did he bang her? Yeah. I didn't remember him banging her. I yeah, thought they were platonic. I, I remember him doing her doggy style. I was like, holy shit. They're uh-huh. like showing this. Anyway, back I, to I think Spawn. it's nice, too. We've established that we are not covered by the Comic Code Authority on this oh, podcast no. either. No. By far. Bond is, you have these very famous, I would say daredevilish looks where he's on top of a church. Yeah, he's holding hanging out on top of crosses, on top of church. Very daredevil. Very or Batman, fr- too, did that a lot, too. Well, I would say more daredevil because he was a Catholic. Yeah, they did do a lot of Catholic imagery. Uh, and so you have Spawn and he's playing with his powers and he's realizing that he can control I guess morph himself so he decides he's going to try to morph himself back into his original yeah because he's all like I, I think they make it he's supposed to be burnt but I thought he was decaying what I do you think it was, was a burnt okay. I thought it was decaying so he's like a rotting corpse yeah. so he, he takes his spawnometer which is currently at 9995 and he uses his power to become a normal human being again but with a twist he comes out as a white blue eyed blonde haired surfer looking dude and at the time we were like oh okay he's normal then he screams no what is it? And he keeps blasting himself with the power, wanting to fix it. Come on, work! Not again! This can't be! I'm a black man! And we find out he's a brother. <laughs> and well, I guess... showed black face in the first issue, but I guess you never, they didn't actually no. say that that's who he was, no. though. No, this is never... another one of those damn things where I read the interviews. So, so I knew he was a black man from the interviews, but the comic book doesn't necessarily I, tell you that. I remember when I read the comic thinking, oh, cool, so he's supposed to be black, but he's white. Okay? Like, was that the big He's not a bad-looking white dude. I mean, Spawn's a little racist, huh? Because, I mean, if I came back from the dead and I'm a black dude, I'd be like, hey, I'm a black dude. And I'd look at my pants. Um... But regardless, if I came back Asian, if I came back, you know, Latino, whatever, Eskimo, whatever, I'm just glad that I'm not a fucking rotting corpse. He should have been like, wait, I'm white. Credit score is 800. <laughs> I can drive to any neighborhood I want to now. So, you know, so he's still, oh, no. I guess Wanda wouldn't be biracial. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she wouldn't dig a white guy. Did they? Well, I, I think that they're establishing here that it's Al Simmons that can't stand being a white guy. True. Well, true. He's a proud brother. True. And, and kind of a racist, apparently. Well, no. I don't play the reverse racist card very often <laughs> so. i'm usually pretty okay with hating on the white man you can call me a race traitor potentially even if you're one of those kind of dudes but i gotta call out al simmons if you can't stand being a white man and you'd rather be a fucking spam then no you're a fucking racist i hold judgment i'm not gonna judge on that one yet we're introduced back to sam and twitch and they're going over more cases of more mob bosses disappearing well um, it's mob assassins though right yeah the, the demon man. dude is killing the mob assassins. Y- yeah because apparently he can only kill bad people is that what it is that's what i assumed because they're already going to hell because he talks about torturing their souls so i'm assuming because they're going there he can fuck with them but if they're good people he would set off alarms in heaven where all these souls are all of a sudden popping up yeah. that aren't supposed to be there yet. Okay. So I'm assuming it's I, been a long time since I read. The yeah, like books, I said, so. when I read it in my mind, I just portray you know watching lots of supernatural and all that other bullshit. If they kill what's on their on their plate already, it's okay. But if you fuck with the other person's plate, you're in trouble. So I got that vibe from it. And so the violators killing guys. Well, it, did they ever explain why it's hearts that he's going after specifically? Not no. I mean, I guess it's for that last panel to pay for that joke to pay off. Mm-hmm. I guess that's well. Why I guess too. Remember. Uh, Venom was always after brains when they first started doing True. it. So maybe Violator was after hearts. And he looks a, a little like Venom, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah he's yeah. better Venomish. They did try to do a give him a cool nickname, the Heart Surgeon oh, Murderer. Yeah. yeah. Which I was like, serial oh. Serial killer, yeah. Yeah, so serial killer name. Spawn is now starting to remember now more. Yeah, he remembers what he looked like now. He Names. looks like Michael Jackson from between Thriller and Bat. His features aren't particularly African American. It's mostly the hair. He can kind of pass, but you can kind of still tell that he's a brother but he's kind of in a Puerto Rican place I, you know he could probably be a Puerto Rican based on the coloring here they're, they're not yeah. that clear on it every image he pops up in is either really blue or really they never really give his skin tone and this is the one where we find out that the dude he apparently hates is Jason Wynn and that's a dude who's what does he look like to you you're a typical government white guy that's a villain nah cause he's got that bushy beard it's not like bushy it's like almost like a Tony Stark so, cut to it so but it's you, more unkempt looking it's more like so feral looking are you trying bit. to say he's more like Attila the Hun nah Kind of like John Rhys Davies' version of Kingpin from the Daredevil Hulk, Trial of the Hulk. 
But without ah, the sunglasses. Didn't really put that much thought into oh, it. By, by the way, turning into a white guy set spallonometer to 9432. Wow. Took a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Or time. We're still not sure. Do you have the violator laughing? Yeah, ripping we keep hearts. cutting back to him. Yeah, ripping out hearts, laughing. Bond is now talking to the clown, and the clown's talking shit to him. Like I said, I still think the hard thing is just to pay off that last panel. Okay. It felt like it was a cool idea. They finally meet. He's telling them, you know, the boss sent me here to keep an well, eye the on clown you. Has yeah, met Spawn. Spawn, and he's telling me, you know, the boss sent me here, and the Spawn, you know, he talks up and he's like, "God help!" And all of a sudden, the clown is like, "Oop, let's let's go easy on that G word now." You know, it burns <laughs> my ears. Let's get the G word, dude. Come uh, on. I'm assuming God is a curse word to hell. Sure, it makes sense to me. Uh, if we're going by like Bizarro World rules, sure, why not? Yeah, it was kind of weird. You know, I would have figured like Jesus would have been like, "Oh." So, anyways, they're talking a little bit. He's kind of giving him an idea that does he mention that he's a hell Spawn? I don't think that's come up quite yet. I guess he's a that he knows why he's here. Yeah, but he's not doing it in such a way that Spawn's really paying attention to him. He just thinks he's some nut job. Yeah, talking to him. Well, I mean, he is in an alleyway full of homeless people. So, right. You know. And he's wearing clown makeup. Well, it's not even clown makeup. It's Spawn makeup. His face looks like Spawn's chest. And so at the very end... Spawn is walking away. Like, fuck this shit. Yeah, basically. listen, buddy, I don't have time for this. Or you, the clown, is, oh, come on, mister. And as he's walking around, he turns into the violator and says, well, he turns into the white demon dude. That's one thing that's frustrating. For years, you, when you're talking about the clown, you mean the diminutive well, form, well, and then the violator is the demon form. Okay, well, But because on. they identify the little fat dude as the violator, and they don't identify the demon dude, we're having to flip it, but the white demon dude turns out to be the violator, so the clown and the violator are the same being. And at the very and he says, oh, have a heart. The ripping of the hearts was to uh, play up the uh, yeah, the last gag of the book. Now, since you asked me last time, I'm going to ask you, how do you feel about this Spawn story? Okay, see, I was big into the Image launch books. I was buying a bunch of these guys' work when they were at Marvel, and I love the idea of Image. The creators are going to own their own work, and they're going to form their own universe, and it's going to be so cool, because I was always a fan of independent comics anyway. I always wanted an alternative to Marvel and DC, and I was so put off by Marvel at that point, and I hadn't yet latched on to DC, so I was just gung-ho, so I was buying all that stuff. And so I went ahead and I bought Spawn number one, read it, and I thought, eh, it is okay. I didn't hate it, but it didn't rope me in. I wasn't like, yeah, I'm, the, I'm a Spawn fan now. So I'll give it a try. I'll get a little bit of a link. And I, I think I pre-ordered Spawn number one because I didn't want to get it sold out. I pre-ordered most of those early image books to make sure I got them. But I don't know if I pre-ordered past three or four. I think I made a point of stopping around issue four or five and I came back on again when they announced the writer series and decided I would just continue it up through the writer series. But I only was going to give Spawn so much length and where the first issue I thought had a fair amount of potential, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. By the second issue, Spawn still hasn't had any real fights with anybody except for those dumb rapist guys. This thing with the demon guy is lame where he just keeps ripping out people's hearts and then the way that they revealed that the clown was the violator, it's like, but you've been going back and forth between these two stories. At what point can the clown be the violator? Because you're, you're going directly from him being the demon to him being the clown again. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me. It seemed like the story wasn't getting any traction. You know, it's the second issue. And I don't know for sure if we've identified the wife yet. We've only identified the villain. I, I was sticking with it for a little bit, but I was already getting ready to jump ship. I don't think I pre-ordered the book past number four. Okay, me, I hadn't read issue one yet. I was just sitting on them. I don't think I started reading them until like issue six. Like, okay, so I you went were collecting back. them first. Yeah. yeah, well, I had a ton of stuff to read. I was still reading a lot of Marvel and I wanted to read this, but I I also had Savage Dragon, Young Bloods. So I would collect Spawn and I would flip through it. And I had a tendency to put back then maybe three to four books together. And then I would read them all in one chunk. Because I'm very weird where I don't like reading one floppy and then waiting for the next floppy to come. Okay. And, We're kind of in overtime. And so. when, it, when it over. Ta-da! We'll count the pin up. This is the inaugural edition of Spawning Ground. I'm actually going to make a point, too, of covering every episode from now on, because I'm not going to let things get backed up like what oh, happens yeah. on the Marvel stuff. Social media love from the 20th Century Geek, 108 Sage, Alan Middleton, Ali Bats, Amanda St. Pierre, Ange, Annie Luisa, Aquaman Convert, A Beardo Talks Film Podcast, Between the Pages, Big Man Productions, Casey Martin, Cash Flag, Chris Sheehan, Coffee and Comics, Comics Tweets, David Golding Art, Debeche, Hashtag Dick Bay Bolts, Ed Moore at Teal Productions, Eddie Jason and Chris Podcast, Eli, Eric Mannix, Eric Gordon, Fast Forward Rewind, Footpeg, Geek Yogurt Podcast, Gidget Peak, Glenn Walker, Goldmine LLC, Good Friends Bad Movies, Good Times Great Movies, whenever they're competing, Grant Richter, The Hammer Strikes, 
Hulkling Aw Yeah, It's Plastic Man, Jeffrey Brown, Jennifer L. Priest, Joe Crawford, Joel Mulvey, Just In Time Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, Katrina W., Ken Day, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun Podcast, Knowing Flame Comics, Linart, Longbox Crusade, Luca Bratzi. Nice. Yeah, you like that one, huh? Sleeps with the Fish. Master of CCGs, Matt Poiso, Michael Bailey Podcast, Michael Wagner, who's actually not a thing about it, Aquaman convert, Mikey Flash, Monsters and Mystics, Odell Abner Dracula, Omactivate, Felt's Comics. Comics London, The Pod Couple, Pooch and Little Pooch, Poop Culture Podcast, Quipster Podcast, Randy Caldwell, Raven X Fields, Real Comic Heroes, Richard Field, Ryan Daly, Samantha Spotto, Sean Merrick, Sean Phillips, The Silver and Gold Podcasting Network, Sir Altitude, Siskoid, Son of Cthulhu, Space Chief, Talk Nerdy to Me Podcast, Trekker Talk Podcast, Upstate Horror, and Victoria Cook. Now, a quick question. This is all for our spawn? Mm-hmm. Wow. Thanks, guys. We did get to goose it a little bit in two different ways. One is I used... Our feedback responses from the Son of Satan episode of the Marvel Superheroes podcast. I thought that'd be a good baseline for Spawn listenership. And then also for... I think it was about 10 days out from the show. Every day I posted a little bit more of the Spawnometer. It's like teasing what it was and then yeah. kind of like helping to promote the show and that helped a lot. And I really appreciate the folks that actually retweeted that stuff. Yeah, so. I appreciate y'all uh, listening to me and uh, Frank's little bitty show. Yeah. Well, and I, I really want to do something to promote something that isn't owned by a giant faceless corporation that fucked over all of its creators. One of the great things about Image is that these guys own their creations. These guys have benefited from that. The entire industry has benefited from that. And I really feel like more of us ourselves included as guys who've been especially promoting Marvel quite a bit but I've certainly been a big booster of DC too I want to make sure to show love to where creators are actually treated correctly where fans are treated correctly I remember how surprised Mac was when we told him that Image Comics on average are cheaper than mm-hmm. Marvel and DC these days they're not trying to double ship you to death they're not trying to just sell you the same eight brands in different packagings love Image Comics we're using Spawnometer as a through line and we'll keep that up but this is about Image Comics we appreciate you supporting us and in turn I'm hoping that helps to support interest in more independent comic books so that you're actually directly benefiting creators instead of Ike Perlmutter motherfucker. <laughs> we're going grassroots here. Well, not really. Gra- okay, grassroots might be a little too far. Uh, we're, we're going, let's call it small businessman, you know, okay. uh, successful entrepreneurs. Okay, uh, Michael Bailey when I was initially teasing Spawnometer, I wasn't even calling it Spawnometer. I was just, I think I put out the meters running and I'd put like little images from the comics of the meter to yeah. see if people would catch on to what it was. And Michael Bailey put out an image of a, the wizard cover with Spawn on it where he's kind of orangey looking and he's got the star background. He's kind of like got his arm up above his head. Really cool cover. I always liked that one. That was one of my favorite wizard covers back in the day. He tweeted that out and he was saying, I think Rolled Spine is giving me another reason to crack this out. And then once I said, yeah, you got it first try, no problems. Uh, he said, I look forward to whatever it is you have in mind coffee and comics podcast just said insert healthy podcast joke here just as first dawn wrote hell spawn hath no fury like rolled spine odell abner dracula wrote i heard your ad for this while listening to the jm dematteis interview on our amazing mm-hmm. heroes interviews i admit i'm curious to hear your collective take on these comics okay i think cool. we need to take another shot at that promo too we might all go off the same script but that was part of the, the fucked up audio session but i wanted to have well, an ad, so all, all i know is it. i sound so robotic because yeah. i don't do well off a script. We, we'll maybe try like a second take. I'm telling I, you, I, I, I know I, I, me and me and Mac are all ad-lib, man. Yeah, got uh, flow. You got to let it flow through you. You you had some theater background. You know that sometimes you got to take I it off. I built the page. sets. <laughs> I was a I was a wrench monkey. You watched people. At, uh, well, watch. I, I wouldn't say act. I mean, uh, I watched kids try to you act. You practice, yeah. Yeah, it was like, you know. But I'd like another shot of that one, too, because mine was all one take. So I just like... Oh, trust me. I just... I heard it, and I was just like, I sound like such a robot, Frank. Ugh. We'll do another one. We'll do another promo in the near future, you know, with a little bit more of uh, of a pop to it. But it'll so do for now. in it. we got to put some vavoom in it. It'll do for now. Uh, let's see. Dr. Ange wrote, okay, I'm intrigued. If it's a Spawn podcast, I don't know if I'll be able to add to the conversation. And he has a comment since then yeah. so the idea is to try to make this as accessible as possible I mean if you were around for the 90s then you at least have a vague idea of a lot of these properties and we're going to try to explain the stuff to you especially since it's not just Spawn it'll be added value characters as well, well and I, I so, like so we're going to try to spell out what the property is well know? not just that though but you have to also remember what the mindset of comics were at that time and why these books were so special why was it an atom bomb when they came yeah, out yeah because like I remember the books I was buying at that time mm-hmm. and these books came right out out of left field like no one saw this 
coming. But the type of books they were writing. Now, granted, now, you know, when you can step back 10 years later and say, oh, I, you know, oh, well, that's what that is. At the time, I remember, like we were talking about, it was just madness. Like people were freaking out over this stuff. Uh, Henry Rollins once said, I believe it was Henry Rollins said that the golden age of music is 12. Whatever music you're listening to when you're 12 years old is going to carry you through the rest of your life because that's always going to be the stuff that had the most meaning for you. So many people that still bother with comics, print comics, but listen to a comic book podcast where the image comics came out in their early adolescence typically yeah. you know somewhere in their teens in which case you know it was like the next evolution of the stuff that they were already reading at marvel or dc or it might have been their introduction to these type of characters because you know wildcats had a cartoon savage dragon had a cartoon oh, the wizard was pumping them like hard yeah so uh if you were collecting comics in that time period you probably to some degree were affected by image now maybe if you were already into your 20s or so you might be very dismissive and i think i've come, we've come across that already just from people uh, uh and we're, we're not trying to be like for me i've ingested so much comic books over my lifetime that i kind of the first show was kind of a tester for us but i do feel we were a little bit down, debbie downers on it because i mean i actually the first, we, first few shows because this will this is on our second episode really? and because well, we i mean we we're still pretty critical of fawn and uh and young blood we're, we're going to try to be more positive going forward we're not, not so much but, positive but this is still a work in progress well, too we're still kind of working well, out not so much a po- not, not not so much a process but like rereading like when you had me read four today it actually was pretty good like the issue was pretty good and the artwork i forgot that how on point save, he was. Save, save that for the oh, okay. for the <laughs> i thought we were already doing it no we're recording the listener feedback for oh, episode two. okay yeah. well let's get going okay so yeah so the point is is that a lot of the people who are listening to the various podcasts that we're associated with especially like the fire and water network and some of the various other satellite networks that came out of that a lot of the guys are our age or a little bit older than us and we're already kind of turning their nose up at image already have some like long-standing biases against them but i think it's hard to dismiss even if you weren't a fan of that time period even if you weren't a fan of what those properties were in the time period a lot of them became more than what they started out to be or a lot of them have had influences and impacts that live beyond the actual comic books themselves and honestly it's not like there's it isn't a shit ton of marvel and dc shit out there too so image was kind of finding their way early on and, and some of those books aren't exactly beloved for their quality but there's more to them than that and uh, we're trying to look at the artistic intent we're trying to look at where the industry was as a whole that time period and find the value in these characters that god bless they're, are still owned by the I was about to say, they're still around yeah it's it's not like uh what was those other imprints uh the one with sludge and oh ultraverse ultraverse let, let me grab a prop right quick you're gonna bring in props now holy shit you're like carrot top so the first thing i'm going to show you is from wizard magazine number seven cover dated march 1992 so it's in the early days of wizard as well and they had this feature called picks from the wizard's hat and so they'd have a list of upcoming comics that they figure were going to be hot and uh, look at this page right here look what they're promoting young bloods young blood number one yeah and notice something the logo to the side see how the marvel books have the marvel logo oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. what's that logo yeah, it for? looks like a palm tree with a sun in the background yeah because young blood wasn't going to be published by image comics they were published by malibu, malibu. now uh, my understanding from what mac was telling me todd McFarlane wanted to publish through dark horse and as i mentioned on other podcasts i think the under guide specifically dark horse usually gets a piece of the pie when you publish through them they, they may be creator owned but there's usually some rights that they get or they cut you some kind of a deal so they're getting some kind of piece of your property and i love that uh, and this is a life contribution specifically he wanted to go through malibu because they were a small company they already were basically a conglomerate of imprints because eternity i think went through malibu air cell which is mostly barry blair stuff and i think they did some porn over there too or they may have a different uh, listing for their porn stuff but they were one of the smaller independents that just had enough of their shit together so they could properly distribute these books mm-hmm. and get them printed and get them printed in color and such and so malibu gave them just by taking a little piece you just for for having published the image books they just got a piece of those books not in perpetuity but just out of the original printings and stuff and part of the distribution deal and they made so much money as just as a side benefit of working for only about a year with image that that's how the ultraverse happened is they had made so much money they were able to put that money back into the industry back into their line create the ultraverse where those weren't creator owned books but all the creators had proprietary rights to those characters so and that's actually the reason why marvel doesn't one of the reasons why marvel doesn't publish any ultraverse characters because the creators still have a part of that and i'm sure a lot of creators Wait, who owns who owns the ultraverse marvel owns the ultraverse now they bought malibu out and so they own all those characters but there's two stories i've heard one is that there's somebody who's involved with the ownership of malibu that benefits from those books that's apparently such a total scumbag that marvel doesn't want to have anything to do with them and would like they they have like a toxic relationship with this person to the degree that it might like make them look bad to do anything with them i I don't know the details i don't know if it's like a dragon con thing or what the hell it's very rare that any business is like oh we're gonna leave money 
on the table because it makes us feel icky. So it must be something pretty <laughs> fucking bad for them to not do that. But part of it might also be just the rights issues because all those creators, which come to think of it, includes a a person who's been accused of that kind of crime in recent memory is, is one of the founders of the Ultraverse. But you take a lot of veteran talents like Steve Gerber and Steve Englehart and you know Norm Brayfogle, these guys that are like industry veterans that were never going to have the profile Image Comics creators had and had been in the industry for quite a few years. We're never going to see those kind of paychecks. But because they were part of the Ultraverse, which was really a writer-centric line, those guys saw paychecks they never would get to see for the rest of their lives. So not only did Image help directly creators just by being hot talents who put out books that sold 100,000 or, or a million copies, but they created whole companies in their wake that also benefited creators indirectly. And even if the Ultraverse characters aren't being published anymore, they still got taken care of very well back in the day. You know, Ultraverse had fucking advertisements on television. One of the only times I ever saw advertisements for comic really? books on television were Ultraverse. Yeah, the, I think Arnie. Jump In, they had a, a ad where they're trying to, like, it's new comic book day and the Ultraverse line is, is starting out and, like, these two kids are trying to break into the comic shop to get to the Ultraverse comics. Holy shit, I never saw this. Yeah. Well, see, they made the Firearm mini-movie that tied into the, the debut of Firearm and if I remember correctly, those ads were also on that video cassette. but I remember seeing those ads in Houston. I think they, they I don't know if they played nationally, but I think they played in key markets or in big cities like Houston. So I remember that shit being on TV and I was like, oh my god, you know, I'd never seen comic book commercials on TV before. It just blew my mind. Uh, and I've still rarely seen those. You know, the only other one I'd seen was uh, G.I. Joe comic books used to be advertised on Saturday morning television, but that's still a toy company. That's still Hasbro and Marvel's just sort of writing in on Hasbro. But with the Ultraverse ads, oh, that wow, was for you're right. actual comic books. It's here. On the, on the YouTubes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it is. That is crazy, dude. Image was a rising tide that lifted all boats. You saw this on TV? No, I think this is the movie. No, there it is. You sure about this? Ultraverse Comics. Let's do it. Couldn't be there in 48 for the launch of that super guy, or in 62 for the launch of that spider guy, but they can be there now for the birth of the Ultraverse! This was on TV? Holy shit! How bad you want it? How bad you want it? I want it! <laughs> this way! You it's very can't. MTV. This is a really long-ass commercial. Ultraverse, please. Oh, sorry. All sold out. Wait, this is a commercial. Commercials always have happy endings. Just kidding. Prime, hard case. First editions in comic shops, June 16th. Wow. But I specifically... Oh, there it is. What the fuck, dude? The good-looking books, though. I remember in Ruin. Ah, oh, see, they're trying to... That was, what, the speculator market? Dude, you totally just busted the spine on that thing, man. Where's your sense of but collector wisdom, you know? The the crazy no thing... No resale value now. The crazy thing is, that was so 90s. Oh, like, yeah. Actually, that kid looked kind of like the guy from uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, right? I didn't the the hoodlum buddy of his. To quote Don Henley... This is the end of the innocence. Well, what got me was... And the reason why I'm thinking about that, too, is they they ran on 26, which became a Fox affiliate. Okay. Or, no, it was already but, a Fox affiliate. But the that. thing that gets me is, dude, that was so hardcore speculation, because they kept, oh, yeah. couldn't be there in 62, couldn't be there in 42, but you could be there today on the first edition. I'm like, are you trying to tell me something? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. They're trying to tell you something. I mean, as we were talking, and I was flipping through the end of that wizard, I forgot that wizard used to price books. Oh, and, yeah. And oh, never once... Guide? Yeah, and never once thought, well, where the fuck are these prices coming from? Because these assholes are like, they show books, prices are going up, and prices are going, like, almost like the stock market. I was like, holy crap. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely all kinds of trends. I mean, Wizard Magazine was definitely at the forefront of treating comics as junk bonds. No doubt about it. That's crazy. So it's not just about Image Comics, though. It's about what Image Comics did for this industry. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, there's some downsides to that, too. The speculator boom didn't help, but you still have people that read comics in that time period that haven't read comics since, and their knowledge of superheroes comes from that time period. And uh, that's why, to me, I think it's the perfect time to try start trying to exploit the image characters in multiple media because all the guys that read those comics back in the day are parents now or or, or have disposable incomes and could support this stuff would still have an interest in stuff yeah. now is the time to start making this st- these movies and these TV shows while the superheroes are big and while the actual creators can benefit from them instead of a goddamn corporation Amen brother Preach on Ultraverse comic books. Now that's excitement. Superheroes. First editions. Jump on now. 
Well, yeah, I didn't realize they had a whole fucking cartoon. Everybody was doing cartoons at the time, right? That was like the big thing. It's just crazy looking because Prime is just basically Shazam. Kid turns into a giant muscular guy. Like, really? Oh, fucking Barry Windsor Smith, man. Sick son of a bitch. Yeah, I, I miss him. I think that maybe the industry just didn't have enough money for him after a while because look at, he was. Look at that cover. That is just, ah, oh, I want just the ruined covers. I want to see if I can buy those. Yeah, no, I, I love Barry Smith's stuff, but that's just it. Is that he was at Valiant, he was at Ultraverse, and then he left comic books. He did a little bit of stuff for Dark Horse, and then he just kind of left comics. My understanding, he went into fine art, and so he just doesn't do comic book stuff anymore. I can't tell you the last time I saw anything Barry Smith in the comics. I think I've seen some covers, but I don't know if they were reprints. Yeah, I don't remember him doing anything in a long time. But what were you, you were asking me something, because you thought that Hard Case was part of that Afrocentric oh, line, yeah. <laughs> as you, I believe you put it. Well, no, because I, I just remember at the time, I forgot about Milestone, weren't they? That was kind of the, an image attempt as well. Yeah, and that's another thing that's interesting, too, is uh, Milestone was a, a group of African-American artists who I think were mostly associated with DC Comics, and they wanted to put together a, a multicultural line of books. And so they put together this pr- proposal, and they took it to DC Comics, and DC Comics chose to publish it as an imprint of theirs. But uh, my understanding is that Milestone Media still holds at least a substantial portion, if not a lion's share, of the rights to the Milestone characters. So DC can't just use them whenever they want to. Well, they use Static consent. Shock, I know that. But the Milestone Media got paid for that. Thing. Yeah, and that's cool. I'm so, glad. And this is a situation, too, where guys like Dwayne McDuffie and Dennis Cowan and such, they weren't going to make any kind of big money in the comic book industry. They never had major hits within the industry. But by having co-founded Milestone Media, them and their families continue to benefit from that. And that deal doesn't happen without a company like Image Comics to show the way and to create an environment where Milestone had a chance for selling for a while there. Mm-hmm. And of course, Image contributed to that as well uh, with Larry Stroman's Tribe. Larry Stroman ended up getting his own company for a little while there based on the sales on Tribe Number 1, which I think is the only issue that Image put out. Or which maybe, one? Tribe Number 1. I don't, that sounds so familiar. That's the one that had the all-black cover with the gold lettering, and it's a circular logo for Tribe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the, you're right, you're right. And then Gorilla, Gorilla Books Well, that was out. later. That was oh, later. Was that, okay. that was quite a bit later. Image canceled a bunch of those satellite books that were key, unfortunately keeping up with Image's publication schedules, which wasn't much of a schedule. And so even though I think only like one or so issues of Tribe came out of Image, and Larry Stroman made enough money that he went off and formed a comic company called Axis, if I remember correctly, to publish the rest of Tribe and a number of other series. And unfortunately, that was around the time of the bust, so not much came of that. But it just goes to show that would have ever happened without Image having been there to give creators that opportunity to make that kind of money to become these little mini moguls, at least temporarily. If it weren't for that, then Larry Stroman's career would basically be the guy who did X Factor for a little while. I'm just It's kind of cool to know Image didn't just blow up comics, but change the industry and as a whole mm-hmm. yeah they did like some little mini documentary about icon and all them like it's a big deal oh yeah i didn't realize that there's oh, like they've written books about that that's kind of cool i'm i read hardware i remember liking hardware i never read any of the other ones I, I read a little bit of ultraverse but they didn't it didn't grab no well milestone the other ones did. i read some of the oh, milestone yeah, books hardware sorry because you the, the whole thing started with confusion over yeah. hard case and, and hardware hard. yeah hardware is one of the only uh, milestone books i read for any length of time yeah I, I really enjoyed i thought that was a really good book but i can't think of any of the other ones that really stood out to me except static shock but i watched the static shock cartoon when it first came out yeah i, I sampled all oh, of wait, them icon he makes appearance in dc doesn't he yeah there was a period of time there where dc had worked out a deal to use the milestone characters for a little bit but i don't think that's the case currently i don't think they have the option to do the milestone characters my understanding is they're working on a milestone 2.0 where they're going to relaunch it as a line again that seems like it's going to be a viable thing and then it disappears one of those long ingestation deals so i'm not sure when that's going to happen but the fact is the original creators are still in discussions which is not something that would have happened with virtually anybody else anybody else but uh okay back to the mail Joe Crawford writes show is pretty great image founders can be low hanging fruit we all bought the books glad to see that acknowledged in thoughtful manner being critical is great too often people just bash really good job with the show but you guys always do thank you I'd like to be recognized for my uh, my achievements since Frank and Max spend more time bashing me for my uh, attempts we don't bash you we just talk over you yes very much so which that shit's gonna stop well we don't have Mac on the show for large oh no no trust me when I see him next to her Lannister always pays his debts and he's gonna learn that the hard way okay but uh yeah and, and again we want to be positive on this show so yeah, we well, will be critical but we're not going to just beat up well, yeah, i don't want well, i don't want to trash a book because you can trash it i mean you can do that with anything mm-hmm. it's one thing to try to uncover what the book was trying to say i mean not we all read the book differently i'm sure the way i read that spawn was different than the way you read the spawn and the way i dealt with it you don't you know like the way we absorbed it was differently so i mean for the most part i still enjoy the books i mean i borrowed your last trades i, I want to talk more about spawn i'm looking forward to more of the image uh, universe well, yeah, some of the other stuff. Yeah, well, that and that spawn develops uh, rolling down the hill. So it's 
picking snowball. up. Snowball. Yes, it's a snowball. So it's, it's picking up mass as it moves along. So uh, I think that's going to be helpful. And Spawn is still being printed today, right? Hell yeah. Jeez, man. Yeah. It's um, one of only two Image comics that continue to exist on Cyber a regular basis. Yeah, ever since the inception of Image. So I got a quick question because I'm yeah. a little confused now. Now, Jim Lee's books were initially released under Image? Yeah, Jim Lee. Yeah. Yeah, he's like one of the Image Wildcat. Okay. Yeah. But then he turned them to Wildstorm? He sold out to DC Comics and is now one of their vice president muckety-muck dudes because of it. We will discuss that in the Yeah, future. okay, good. Yes, I have words. Okay, good. That. I was like, because I, I, I was going through some books and I saw like Wildcats with Image logos on. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought it was... You forgot I, that Wildstorm well, was no, that Image? I, or did, there were so many damn books that came out at the same time. I mean, we had Wildstorm, Cyborg Force, uh, Bloodshot, Bloodspot, Blood Dot. I mean, they had all kinds of shit. So I was like... <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to remember, because I remember we were joking about how you want to do them in order, but I'm like, dude, there was like an avalanche, brigade, like there was just an avalanche of books that came out that were just every X-Men, JLA, New Mutants variation, but with a different name and like some fucked up characters. Because there's a couple of books I remember reading that I, I still to this day, like they left you on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Like it never got resolved. Yeah. What was it? What was the group of the, the group, the team group that would be killed and they would reanimate them? Team group. Yeah, was, that's not Brigade. Was it Bloodshots or Bloods? Well, no, Bloodstrike. Bloodstrike. Blood Strike. Strike. Were, yeah. were they teens, though? I don't remember. No, well, it was a team. No, it was team. a team. Okay. And they would be re- reanimated. And I remember they had a story arc where one of the female characters had sex with this dude. And then he was catching like this weird flesh-eating disease. And they never finished that story. And I remember thinking, dude, that's going to be such a cool fucking story arc down the line. Is that from the 90s or that yeah. more recent stuff? The like, 90s, dude. Huh. I, I was not aware. Well, we're going to get the Bloodstrike, though. And now I'm a little bit looking forward to that. Well, just real quick why didn't dc try to buy them out as well what all of image yeah well that's just i mean it's just impractical for starters because but they bought jim lee though they bought jim lee boy that's a bad way of putting it but they kind of bought jim no no they bought jim let's let's call it what it is they said here's a dump truck full of money we now own all your intellectual rights yeah well and and Jim Lee, because Jim Lee doesn't work for anybody else. He's a company man. He was always kind of a company man. But now, you know, he's, I'm sure he's under contract with him. He can't do anything with anybody else for the most part. It's like, this is the 25th anniversary of Image, and they keep doing these things where it's six founders and no Jim Lee, you know? Oh, that has to be so awkward. Yeah. Like, they'll show a picture and there's just like, what, like, just a cutout outline of Jim Lee. Well, that's kind of how, uh, Will's Protasio's career has been for years and years, too, because he went from an Image founder and then he, I don't know if he resigned that status or if he lost that status or a combination. So for the longest time, he was cut out of that picture too by circumstance by choice I don't know and then of course for the longest time you had that one picture from when the company first formed and Hank Cannells is in the picture instead of Wills Portacio and I remember for a long time a lot of people thought that Hank Cannells was Wills Portacio <laughs> and it's like no and that guy is kind of like who's that guy in the side over there you know it's just kind of, I feel like you'd kind of suck to be that guy and that guy you know where he works DC Comics I think he actually worked on the Wildstorm books at DC once he was bought by DC for a while there and now he's got some other position at DC Comics. Hmm. How do we get on to here, though? No, my bad. Oh, yeah, but the point is, uh, nobody needs to listen to a podcast where you're taking the same shots that Wizard Magazine took for 20 straight years, yeah. or that you know you can turn on a YouTube video I, with somebody shitting on but the, thing the is, same I, stuff that people were bitching out of the comic shop. I, you I think we generally like these books, though. Yeah, I mean, well, even the books I don't like, there's potential there. It's the same reason why I enjoy the Marvel Superheroes podcast when we do those, especially when we do Obscuro characters, again, like the Son of Satan, where... You know, we haven't done a Spider-Man episode yet of, yeah. of Marvel superheroes because who the hell needs to talk about Spider-Man anymore? I, I, he's I, been I, talked to death. He's been talked to Wolverine. death. Wolverine. Whatever potential those characters have, that potential has been realized. If you realize them anymore, you're almost like whatever the opposite of being a dead horse is. We know. Tell me Batman's great. Everybody knows how great Batman is. Everybody knows the reason why Batman is great. That's why when Batman comes up, I'm the guy who's going to be contrary and say, well, here's the reason why Batman sucks because I don't think there's enough of that. And by the same token with Image Comics, these characters all have potential. There's things you can do with these guys, and I think that you can do more with them and it'd be more beneficial to individual creators and to the comic community as a whole if people try to do things with these characters. Go pitch Rob Liefeld. Cool idea. Try to uh, wrangle an artist to do that, and that shit can get made. Try doing that shit with Marvel DC and see what happens. They're going to fucking laugh you out of the offices. Well, you, you won't get into the offices. No. They've got security. No, they'll tell you, you know? we own 80% of the character mm-hmm. forever. No, no, not even 80%. They're not going to exploit it unless they yeah. own 100% and you're serfs. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to know there's a place where some 18-year-old kid right now who's drawing in his room comes up with this great idea of a comic book, and he has somewhere where he can go have it published, put out in the world, 
people can fall in love with it and he can get praised and paid for it instead of selling it to someone and being just a footnote in the comic book world. He doesn't have to literally sell his firstborn, secondborn, and thirdborn to a company that are going to abuse that child and then cast them aside when they're no longer of any value. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah, kind of a fucked up metaphor, but we're talking about Spawn comics. What the fuck do you expect? Uh, let's see. So Ed Moore at Teal Productions, who, by the way, has always been great about favoriting and retweeting our stuff on our various podcasts. Very rarely does he actually speak to us or any, you know, that from what I see. He's got some podcasts, though. Anyway, he wrote, X-Force may have had wide exposure before Youngblood, but Rob had a story involving Youngblood in a book in 1987, Megaton Holiday Special, which we kind of discussed the Megaton Explosion, the promotional book, and I think that was the book that came out in 7, and the Megaton Holiday Special reprinted the intended cover for a special that never came out, which we discussed in that first episode, first mm-hmm. episode and it was actually finally released in like 93 after Image has already come out, so kind of conjoining a couple of things, but yeah, Youngblood, and if Youngblood, you think Youngblood had a history, geez, Savage Dragon had quite a fucking history. Yeah. We'll get to that next time. And then the uh, dependent independent podcast page wrote, Blast from the Past, definitely checking this one out. Just a taste of my childhood years, Borden and Baggin. And then I, I asked him, you know, hey, he he sent out a picture showing his digital comics library and it had a lot of Spawn and, and Shadowhawk in it. So I asked him, hey, we're trying to find people that are fans of Image that can talk to us. I'm not usually great about outreach to find people outside of our circles yeah. to, to do stuff with us. But in the case of Image, I need people who are excited about these properties, who can do some deep dive type stuff. And he got back to me saying, if we, if we want to do something, name the time. It defined my adolescence. That opportunity would be great. Spawn is a gimme, but the Wildcats was built, IP, and delivered ahead of its time. Between Shadowhawk and Wildcats, I'll hopefully get a hold of, of him in the near future yeah. and try to work something out with him. Finally, one of the longest ones here is from our buddy Ryan Daly, who first, finding out that we were legitimately going to do a Spawnometer podcast, wrote, What? And then he wrote, uh, Fun episode, not what I was expecting, other than history lessons, a.k.a. the Frank treatment. It took me a full week to listen to this episode, in part because it's been a busy damn week, and also because I was 50% sure this was a belated April Fool's gag. And the fact is, I was intending to put out the first yeah, April Fool's because that. that's what I did with DC Bloodlines. One of my favorite April Fool's pranks to play is to do something that's 100% legitimate, and everybody's like, you're joking, right? It's like, no, we're, we're serious about this, but we put it out on April Fool's Day, April Fool's. You thought we were fo- joking. We're totally serious about this shit. But the problem was, April Fool's of this year came on a Saturday. Oh, I know. And I don't like Saturday podcasting. I think people like podcasts during their working days. But uh, it was just too close to the 20th anniversary. April was the month that Youngblood number one came out. So it's like, why am, am I not promoting the Spawnometer better? Why am I not taking this time to make the actual show better? Because, you know, we went back and we did a lot of editing over the last few weeks. And the show that came out on the other end was completely different than the show that I thought that I'd completely wrapped up in January. Mm-hmm. And already had the MP3 just sitting in a folder waiting to get started. And then it was just like, this isn't quite the show I want it to be. And so that's when it became something different in that first episode, which you still haven't listened to. So you really can't, you know, no. address that i think you'll be surprised at how much mac is in the first episode because you remember the night that i tried to record young blood stuff with you you fell asleep i'm like literally in the midst of doing a synopsis of the mini the the, the first several issues and you passed out on me sounds about right sounds about right sounds about right uh let's see okay so ryan continued the reason for that is i've never heard of the spawnometer before you explained it on this show which <laughs> you can also account for yeah uh, and actually I've, I've tried to find where that term came from because i don't i did not coin the term spawnometer i'm confident of that i could find it mentioned in video game context with the, the spawn had several video games and oh, I remember I owned one I owned yeah. the first one and I was actually reading the original wizard article where image was unveiled and they still don't call it the spawnometer yet they're calling it something else but they're not actually giving it a name it's like I think he calls it there's a meter that's going to gauge spawn's power and shit so I'm trying to find the etymology of this particular term that we've used for the podcast well four kind of throws a little hint at that yes 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 and we're going to get we'll get to that one in number four uh let's see to my recollection I own spawn issues number six seven and eight I might have read them but not closely and I have no memory of the spawnometer countdown appearing in any panels I've also listened to Nathaniel Wayne and Michael Bailey review early issues of this series if they ever mention the spawnometer I have no memory of that either and again we've read the early issues of spawn they don't actually call it a spawnometer unless no. in the letters columns because uh, we're, we're reading them in the uh, early trade paperbacks and they don't reprint any of that additional material which sucks because spawn number one had a pinup by george perez that was fucking fantastic and i managed to find it online thankfully and i think in another early issue rick leonardi had a pinup i've never been a big rick leonardi fan so i'm not as worried about that one but i definitely want to use the perez pinup from spawn number one as one of the album covers for one of our episodes of the show cool uh let's see but also there's no letters columns so if they called it that in the letters column uh, i 
we don't know. We can't. I haven't been able to verify that. Uh, you could. You've got the individual issues, but I don't know if you want to be pulling all that shit out of your boxes. Uh, I got multiple issues of one plus a signed edition Tom by Mister McFarlane. <laughs> uh, let's see. All of that is to explain why when you guys first announced this show on Twitter, my first reaction was to cock my head to one side like a dog or a cat and silently wonder what the fuck is this show going to be about. Now, having listened to the first episode and understand what this countdown clock is, at least conceptually, if not functionally, I really dig it. I was at the ground floor of Image Comics, and while most of my friends were jumping in the elevators, Mark, Spawn, and Youngblood, I waved them by, saying, I'll get the next one, and that's why I followed Lee's Wildcats and Sylvester's Cyberforce, and the long, long delayed Portacio's Wetworks. Oh, yeah, Wetworks. That was like two years late, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, as noted, I only read maybe three issues of Spawn, and I don't think I ever read Youngblood, though I did collect the three issue Brigade miniseries. <laughs> We'll be getting to that one fairly yep. soon. I might hit him up on that one. You remember how much, Ryan, if you're listening, let me know how much of Brigade you remember because uh, I know these guys that I work with are not necessarily Brigade aficionados. I own Brigade artwork, so. Oh, you own original artwork? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, we'll touch on that, I'm sure. Uh, he also, of that group, notes that Seahawk and Cold Snap were the bomb, yo, until one or both of them died, maybe. Anyway, all of that is to say that while I'm not a fan of either McFarlane or Liefeld's art, I'm also not versed in the material that you're looking to cover. And if this was nothing but a bitch session, which it sounds like it might turn out to be down the road, I might ignore it. But for the time being, while you're giving these stories an honest shake, I'll come along for the ride and listen to what you guys have to say. Which is basically the policy I have with Ryan's Nightcast show that he does with Chris Franklin. It's, ah, I'm not really a big fan of Batman. I really don't feel like listening to a 90-minute podcast on Batman every couple of weeks. Oh, wait, you're covering Batman number 400, Frank Miller's Year One, the Alan Davis run of Detective Comics, Jim Starlin's going to come up. Well, you know, we'll take it an episode at a time. We'll see how it goes. So uh, we'll, we'll play chicken with each other's podcasts and see who turns the wheel first. Okay. Anything else? I just wanted you, if you would, to audibly read uh, oh, this piece from Wizard News out of Wizard Number 8, the April 1992 cover dated issue. What did you want me to read? You'll figure it out pretty quick. It says, Hot Artist Sign at Malibu Comics. Tard McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Lay Layfield, and others begin new titles. As of press time, it appears that Jim Lee, Rob Layfield, and Todd McFarlane, and other big names in comics are switching over to Malibu Comics and starting their own universe. Projects already named include Jim Lee's Wild Cats, a superhero team, Youngbloods, another team book by Rob Layfield, and Spawn, a single character book which heralds the return of Todd McFarlane. Golly, with this much cool stuff coming from Malibu, how long before we see their books attack the hot charts? Okay, so no, but I mean, we've already kind of established that Malibu was supposed to be the original home of Image. Yeah, you see the Malibu thing on the bottom. Yeah, but look at the ad. What, what it is, this, uh, th uh, what we're looking at is Wizard Magazine number nine, cover dated May 1992, and in the middle of the article, a very long article. It's practically a story unto itself. This is where they're actually introducing Image Comics, and they have a full-page ad for Malibu Comics in association with uh, Image Press, Youngblood, by Rob Liefeld with Hank Cannells. There's no Image logo. There's just the Malibu logo. The next generation of heroes begins here in February. Well, obviously, the book didn't come out until April, yeah. <laughs> but it was fun is reading that article, how they talk about how all the original books, except for Spawn, were supposed to be three-ish miniseries, and that's one of the things that threw me off when I was doing Youngblood coverage is I thought that that first story would wrap up no later than issue four ended up dragging on to issue five and none of them actually let, ran three issues except for Savage Dragon so they didn't keep up with a lot of that stuff that was in that original article that got me going but based on these wizard magazines Youngblood was already at Malibu was always going to get published so it's hard to say that that wasn't the first image book because it actually predated image and only retroactively became an image book ahead of its final publication date hmm. but the other thing I wanted you to check out is in the same issue I believe just on a quick flipping through these wizard magazines I have. I believe this was also the first issue to feature the Wizards Top 10 Hottest Artists list, which was quite a staple oh, for years. Yeah. So look to see who the hot artists were at that point in time. Well, of course, number one is Mr. Jim Lee. Number two is Todd McFarlane. Number three is Rob Layfield. Number four is Wills Prestacio, Ron Lim, Eric Larson, John Byrne, Art Adams, Mike Zek, and Sam Keith. So you have one, two, three, four, five, I would say six, 
with Sam Keith. Yeah, six. You, you got five of the seven Image founders, six. and six of the top, top ten top were ten. Image creators. And then two of the other guys that are on that list, John Byrne and Art Adams, went on to create a competing imprint at Dark Horse, which Todd McFarlane wanted to do, the Legend line, mm-hmm. which people don't really remember anymore. But uh, Frank Miller, Sin City, was part of Legend. Monkey Man and O'Brien. Oh, I remember that. Hellboy and John Byrne's Next Men. And see, one of the interesting things is George Perez, who never really did an Image book, even though he had talked about it in the early days, he ended up doing books for Bravura. I mean, sorry, he did books for Ultraverse and he did books for Techno Comics and basically almost everybody but Image Comics. But he was supportive of Image from the very beginning. Uh, guys that they thought ought to be working with him, like John Byrne, were immediately extremely critical of them. To this day, I don't believe I've ever worked at Image Comics and actually tried to directly compete with them. And we look at how John Byrne's career arc has gone without Image Comics and then we look at guys that probably wouldn't have ever been considered at the same level of John Byrne, especially at his peak, who have had much more fulfilling careers and much more financially lucrative careers by embracing the entrepreneurship as opposed to being a part of a corporation and being a company man. Yeah. Because John Byrne, for the most part, was always a company man. It didn't really work out that great for him, I don't think. I think that John Byrne would have benefited mightily from just having gone along with Image and supported his fellow creators. Well, instead of, I think, honestly, what happened is he would look at a list like this and he'd see that he's number seven on a list of ten. And I think a lot of it was ego and anger rather than actual say, practical matter. I was about to say, from what I've learned and heard about him, it's a lot of it's ego-based. Probably so. And again, he could have, I'm sure the image creators would have loved to have John Byrne. I'm sure they'd have no Oh, that would have been a great him. name to add to the roster. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and he, honestly, if New, Next Men had been published by Image Comics, not only would he have made buckets of money that didn't make it Dark Horse, but they probably would have maybe gotten a film or something out of that. And, and at the very least, he would have a been cartoon. one of the grand old, and he, he got years worth of that book out there. He was able to steadily work on that project. It was a passion project for him. So if it had been more successful in the beginning, this book that he was obviously very dear to his heart, he might have kept his passion burning for the industry as a whole. I think he really lost a lot of his love for the industry over the course of the 90s. Uh, and uh, I, I think it would have helped him in a, many ways, personally, not even just professionally. And I'm just really sorry that he didn't let these kids help him have a career renaissance. He decided yeah. to take them on instead and criticize them. And that didn't pan out. The companies aren't there for this guy. This guy's got a career dating back into the 70s, and he's working at IDW now, for the most part. And his creator, like the stuff where he draws actual comic books, they don't really sell that great. I think the main thing he's been doing at IDW is photo collage stuff, like digital manipulation of 60s Star Trek images that he's probably pulling off of DVDs and or, or Blu-rays, photo manipulates them and creates fumetis. Wow. I thought, didn't he? This is one of the greatest artists the industry has ever had, and he's doing fucking Star Trek fumetis at IDW. Well, I thought, didn't he f- just recently come out with some of his Next Men books? I don't remember that. I think so. But... Oh, you know what? I think IDW did some reprints. Yeah. Well, no, they did IDW. some reprints and then some new stuff. I remember that was like a big thing because they're like, and the journey continues. I was like, who cares? It's Next Men. Like, you can well, find Did you them. read Next Men though? Next I... Men was pretty good, actually. Uh, I the read the ones. first half. By the second half, when it was it all like multiple books, forty some odd issues total. But it, they broke them into like series of books. Yeah, he started doing like series of mini series. Yeah, so, well, they had legacy numbering though. I think I think the legacy numbering continued into like the I just and then the I think first half it, of it was good. I yeah. mean, it, it it reminded me a lot of Harbinger, mm-hmm. Valiant's Harbinger, kind of the same feel to it. It was very X Men book. I got tired. It just it was too much, and the quality wasn't there. In my my opinion, I mean, I already had enough books to read because I mean, I gotta remember at this time there's a lot of books competing for your read time, and so you kind of have to pick and choose what you it, really want to read. It was a read. little pricey, remember too? I think it was three bucks, yeah, two fifty three dollars yeah, at a time. Well, most well, comics were only well, uh, a buck fifty two. Dark Horse was always expensive. The books are always expensive. Uh, and more expensive. I wouldn't go so far as saying expensive. There were always about fifty cents or so more. I would say on average. But yeah, I mean, I read. Matter of fact, what it might have been is I might have read your trades of Next Men because I didn't read those books until years after the fact because I'd already been burned too many times. I no, think, no dude, intended. I bought them from your shop. Probably you, you, so, yeah. You used to sell them like in those little... Uh, oh, my Mondo packs? Your Mondo my packs, little, yeah. Uh, proto-trade paperback. Yeah, because I, I remember you had, you had that one shelf full of them and I remember you had them all on there and you sold them to me and I bought them all for me and I read half of it and I just got tired. So it, just... It's an obvious thing to do so I can't really claim any credit for that but it's funny because so many of the people who were my customers back then now work at local comic shops. Oh, I know. So it's like, my children, my children. Oh, trust me. I went to a local comic <laughs> shop and they had Mondo packs. And I'm they like, they actually call them Mondo packs. I think Bedrock calls them bricks. All I know is it's the same shit you did. Rose by any other name. But they picked and they did, they did like, like you did books that will never be collected in trades. They just throw them in there, which was a smart idea. Cause like finding them individually was a pain in the ass, but you walk up and this poor man's trade on there for two bucks. Let's do it. Well, that's the major difference though. 
those. I see those same packs sitting there because they charge too much for them, where mine would be Dude, economical we as well. The, the last Comic Palooza we went to, that guy had the Mondo packs mm -hmm. and was asking for like ridiculous amounts oh, of yeah, money. That, I, there's something with that guy. I remember, I can't say this is the, back in the 90s, there was a guy who would always sell his books for great prices. Just like, how do you make any money? You're, you're selling these books for like a buck, two bucks a pop at a time during the speculator boom where everything was yeah. really great. Turned out what it was, he was actually a drug dealer who was using his comic book stand as a cover for the income that he was collecting from the drugs. But I don't know if he's a pot dealer or something like that. So yeah. it's like, whenever I see this dude... Raising money laundering. Yeah, whenever I see this dude, he's got these table full of ridiculously overpriced, enormous bricks of comics. I think you get off of eBay for a fraction of the cost of this dude trying oh, yeah, to sell dude, he had like So I'm wondering if like, it's not... I mean, I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm wondering if it's like, you're obviously not pricing these things to sell and I don't and, and, see you selling many of these bricks. I don't see people walking around hauling these bricks with them. Well, not just that, so, dude, but... Is they, this an art installation? I mean, what is the purpose of well, this? Well, not just that, though, but also at the same time, the books were not packaged very nicely. They're almost like vacuum sealed in there, and you can see the curves. The books are curving. So I'm like, if you buy these comics, you're not just buying them to read them, but, the, you know, you kind of want to... Yeah, if you're going to spend... A cover you're going to roll that spine. If you're going to spend cover price... So you, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to spend, spend cover price on a complete set of something or a long run of something, you're going to want it to look nice. You're yeah. not going to want to have these fucked up books in the garbage bag, you know? So, yeah. I just thought it was great. I remember I was looking, I'm like, I was thinking, someone had told me, oh, they're not too badly priced. I walk up, it's like $112. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, no, I could go to the quarter bin and find all these books for probably like. Well, they don't really have quarter bins anymore. That's, that's, no, not, they're, was they're dollar bins now. Nah, I saw, nah, dude, that one now. dude had one, it was nothing but quarters. There, there are a few, there, nah, I don't yeah, know about quarters. I, 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 always, I, oh, see, no, I tell you, there were 50 I, cents 50, a book. I see some 50 cents. There were 50 cent yeah. books. But those are, those are very much outliers. There's usually like one or two guys who are doing 50 cent books. I know, dude, and this dude had. Like the real bottom of the barrel shit. Nah, this dude had good shit. Oh, yeah? Yeah, hell yeah. Like, define I, good I, shit. Um, let's see. I finished out my, let's see, what runs did I finish out? I finished my XO run with him. I was able to find some hard to find issues. I was able to find some, uh, Road 66 books. From, oh, yeah, Cross Gen. Uh, Cross Gen. I was able to finish Another that. Another company that Marvel bought out. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Cross, I was, oh, man, they, they never finished that series. Uh, love that series. I finished, I got to find some of those. Um, I was finishing up my Demon series, Garthenas. I got to finish, what else did I find that I was missing? There's something else. But he had really good stuff. I was but pleasantly good, shocked. Undesirable Dude, stuff. and then I even bought that Frank. Frank Miller puzzle book set are the the uh, big guy and Rusty and big guy. Okay. Oh, they did a jumbo puzzle. Yeah, I jumbo think? puzzle. Yeah, bought the whole puzzle, still sealed. Five bucks. And I'm like, dude, that's, and Fryho has that made, he actually has the puzzle completed and, uh, he glued it down. Glued it up, yeah, as a, as a, you know, basically a piece of art on his wall. And I got it for five bucks, dude. So, the dude, I think it was just liquidating stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause he was, cause I haven't asked him, like, where you get this stuff? And he was just like, you know, I, I'm assuming he probably does that shit where dudes that buy, um, storage areas mm -hmm. come across that and they're just like, hey man, give me, you know, 500 bucks. You can still buy enormous lots of stuff on eBay. And you just, if you're the guy who sorts the stuff out and makes it to, available to be sold as individual books, Mm -hmm. You can turn a profit that way. If you're spending a dime a pop for a big lot of books off of eBay and you're charging 50 cents, that's five times your profit. Yeah, so. true. But alternately, it might be liquidation of old stock from the 90s and early aughts that he's still trying to get rid of so he's not having to pay taxes I, on it or filling up his garage. All so. I know is I spent maybe about 45 bucks with him. I was like, and I was fine because I remember I was super excited because I was finding stuff like I could not find. And if I did find it, they wanted face value or extra. And I'm like, dude, I just got it for 50 cents. Awesome. Set complete. Put that away. My life is moving on. The great thing about spending a dollar or less on a comic book because it's very hard to go to a table and find a cheaper copy of that same book. You know, yeah. you don't have the buyer's remorse that you do when you spend two, three bucks on a bullshit comic that nobody else cares about and then you find them in the 50 cent bin. Oh, yeah. Or no. typically the dollar bin. Again, most very rarely do you see 50 cent bins these days. Well, I was a little disappointed this year that the guy with the trades wasn't there. You sure? No, he wasn't there. Well, not this year, last year. Last this year, year is last coming. Year. This show will be out after Comic Blues is probably already coming on. Oh, okay. So it's not quite this year's, although we'll see what happens to this year's Comic Blues. It seems like they're very much de emphasizing comic comics, which I don't think Houston should be competing with San Diego, but uh, I think that the Houston Convention Bureau may think otherwise. They're all about the star fucking, it seems like, and less about the actual comic books. So. Well, because next year, I'm, I'm planning my next year, I'm going to try to hit a bunch of conventions next year. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's my goal. But let's finish up. Okay. Well, we're actually done with the mail. Oh, okay, cool. Da -da 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 -da. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include... Batman number 400. Legends. Mike Barr and Alan Davis. Batman Year One. Batman Year Two. Max Allen Collins. Ugh. Um, 
the new Jason Todd. Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Counts. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? The Ultraverse Network begins now. Over 20 years ago, Malibu Comics debuted The Ultraverse. It may not have lasted long, but the creativity and quality of its titles and creators caught many readers' imaginations when it first appeared and in the years since. This network of fans celebrates the fun and excitement of the Ultraverse and its awesome writers, artists, and characters. Featuring three ongoing podcasts covering a variety of topics, including Nightman and Solitaire, our blog will feature regular coverage of The Strangers, Sludge, Firearm, Ultra Force, and all your other favorites. Look for Ultraverse Network on iTunes and visit our website at ultraversepodcast.com. We are giving Ultraverse fandom a jump start. Howdy, folks. My name is Ed Moore, and this is the Lords of Order, the Dr. Fate podcast. Dr. Fate's a golden age DC hero. He was created by Gardner Fox and Howard Sherman. He first appeared in More Fun Comics 55, dated May 1940, was a founding member of the JSA. Now, why Dr. Fate? Dr. Fate is, is a pretty cool character. I'll take an opportunity to read about him, to learn about him, and in the process, I'll be able to share that with anybody that wants to listen along on the journey. I'll be talking about one book per episode, so the episode should be relatively short. The website that the show will go up on is bigtimenoise.com slash drfate. That's part of the Deliberate Noise Network. The Lords of Fate, I've set up a Facebook and a Google Plus page for those, so you'll be able to leave comments, and I'll, I'll post when shows go live on there also. And if you do want to get in touch with me over Twitter, you can use Teal Productions, T-E-A-L. Blog of Geekery is Doctor Who, Babylon 5, Comics, Toys, Star Trek, Cats, Role Playing Games, Battle Shovel, X Files, Music, Board Game, Jack Kirby, Movie, Kung Fu, and so much more. Siskoid's Blog of Geekery, 10 years of content, more than 7,500 posts, still going strong at siskoid.blogspot.com. This is a fan-produced, not-for-profit podcast. No copyright infringement is intended, and any use of copyrighted materials believed to be covered under fair use. If you don't agree, you can go straight to hell!